Hello and welcome to Total Recall ASM 19 on the Word on the Go podcast. Throughout this series we're going to be bringing you all the talks and seminars from this year's festival. We hope you enjoy. Hello? Hello? Hi guys. Hi, uh, welcome to this, our first seminar in the Hub Tent. Um, my name's Alex, I'm part of the Hub team um, and the Hub chaplaincy. Um, and I'm just going to welcome up... Um, oh, there goes the cross. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to welcome up Scott Evans, who's going to um, talk to us about um, sharing your faith about losing your friends. I'm just going to quickly welcome up and pray for him before he starts. Father God, I thank you um, for Scott and what he has to share with us today, Lord. I pray that we will have um, hearts open to hearing um, what you have to say to us. And I pray that we would be um, listening and um, pay attention to what um, Scott has to say. And I pray that um, he would be able to speak speak your words, Lord. Amen. And as we begin, I would just ask everyone to put phones on silent um, just so there's no interruptions. And I'll pause it with Scott. Thank you. I wouldn't be too worried about your phones. How many people actually have good coverage here anyway? And how many people actually have people trying to ring them? <laughs> oh, sorry, too harsh. Um, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, you've uh, actually already been lied to a little bit about my name. Um, my name actually, uh, and you'll see this from my Twitter handle, not Scott Evans. My real name actually isn't Scott. Um, my real name, the name that I was born with, my parents, when preparing for my imminent arrival, and um, they decided, we're going to call him Jonathan. And then I was born, and they looked at me, and they were like, it just doesn't suit him. Let's, we'll, call him we'll call him Scott instead. We'll call him by his middle name. And that was fine. I had no problem with this. Until later on in life, I found out the meanings of the names and found out Jonathan means a gift from God. And they looked at me, and they said, it just doesn't suit him. And instead, they call me Scott, which comes from the Greek word Scotia, which means darkness or evil. Um, so, and I think this plays a big part in it. This is one of my favorite pictures from my childhood. And this is me as a baby, uh, right? Now, normally when you put an image into Keynote, it doesn't do that effect. It's just the pure weight of this baby's head made the screen seem to shake, right? Because this is my dad holding me, and I'm like three months old, and our heads are the same size. <laughs> And so I think my dad was like, he's my Jonathan, my firstborn son, my gift from God. And my mother was like, he's the devil. You didn't have to give birth to it. Um, so, so that's me. That's why I'm not Scott Evans uh, on Insta and on Twitter. Um, also, I have, we have a couple other events happening over the weekend. It's really nice to be up over the weekend. I'm, uh, I'm doing another seminar in here basically immediately after this one on how to uh, leave school without leaving your faith. So it's about like moving on to university because I'm a university chaplain. And then tomorrow for any 18-year-old leaders uh, or 18s or over, I think, in the COED tent, I'm doing a seminar on s something worth saying. So how to write a talk. Um, so whether that's a sermon or a talk for a youth group or something like that. And then tomorrow night at 11 o'clock in the COED tent, we're doing a live podcast recording. Um, we've taken the idea of Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares, and instead we're doing the Graveyard Shift, which is our podcast, uh, the Graveyard Shift Ministry Nightmares, which is the funniest stories of like, you, you grow up like in, when you're in ministry, like hearing about all the amazing things that God is going to do. And listen, God does amazing things. And then there's 
the rest of the time where stuff goes so badly wrong, you wouldn't even believe it. And it's always really encouraging to tell those stories to realize you're not alone when things go wrong for you. So um, if you're around tomorrow night, that's Sunday, Sunday night, 11 p.m. Also, uh, I've written a couple of books. They're for sale at the back. They're like three pounds each. Okay, that's all I'll say about that. Okay, so sharing your faith without losing your friends. Um, let's talk for a couple minutes about sharing your faith. Let's get a little bit of feedback. How many people here feel comfortable telling um, your friends who are not like people of faith about your faith? How many people feel comfortable doing it? Okay, a few people. How many um, feel nervous about it? Okay, a little bit more people. Um, why do you think it is that you feel that way? You can, this isn't rhetorical, so I'm like actually answering, like asking, why, if you feel nervous about it, why, why do you think you feel nervous about talking about your faith? You don't want to be pushy? Yeah, that's a really good, really good answer. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. You're worried people will judge you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Worried about how you'll be perceived? Yeah. Anything else? Yep. Yeah, you might not have the answers to, your qu to their questions, might not feel um, like whatever questions they're going to ask, you're not going to be able to fulfill them all. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Rejection? Yeah. That's a really good one, absolutely. So there's a whole lot of things that go into that about like that make us feel um, a little bit um, nervous, that can make us feel like we wanna hold back about sharing our faith. Um, a lot of the ones that I had written down, like you guys have got, like getting it wrong, not having all the answers, not having the words sometimes, like to know, like, how do I talk about this? Like, I've heard my pastor or my youth worker talk about it, or I've heard my priest or my minister talk about it, but I don't know how I talk about it in a language that feels like normal to me to talk to one of my friends about it. Um, and I think also, like, the way in which we're perceived and the, um, uh, the, the things that we think people will, will feel when we talk about it. So let's Let's talk about evangelism. Evangelism is a fancy word for sharing your faith. And it's always one of those words that I have a little bit of, uh, of a struggle with because I always feel like the, the idea of sharing our faith should, like, it should feel like such a natural overflow of just the way in which we live in general that, that, that if our faith makes sense to us and it's becoming part of like how it shapes our values, like the way in which we see the world, the way in which we see ourselves, sharing it shouldn't have to be like this extra experience, but rather a connected experience. And sometimes I worry, like when we need to invent words to talk about something, it's like, well, it raises the question, why isn't it happening like just naturally? And why isn't it happening in a way that feels natural to us? And I think a lot of us as well, we struggle with baggage. Um, I struggle with a lot of baggage from um, uh, growing up in church world in the Republic. Because growing up in church world in the Republic, particularly as, um, uh, as a Protestant, I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, um, I, we were in like a massive minority. And one of the things that I found is that the way in which people talked in church made no sense to the people in my school. And so like we would invite friends along to, the, uh, along to church. And we could talk about, me and my friends, we could talk about faith in some ways or other. And then somebody would come up to one of my friends and be like, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And they were like, what? I don't even know what those words mean. Or they'd say things like, have you been washed in the blood? What a terrifying analogy if you didn't grow up in church. Have I been washed in blood? Like, if you, if you haven't grown up in church, if that's, if that's not language that you've heard before, that sounds like something off like some weird Netflix program. It doesn't sound like something that's a good, positive, religious experience. 
or have you been saved? Or like sometimes you say things and people hear something completely different. And I find this very difficult working with young people because your, ch your culture changes all the time. And then your slang changes. And that means there's certain things we can't say anymore. So for like 2,000 years, it's been fine for Jesus to say, come to me, all you who are thirsty. And now we can't say that anymore. Um, because that is a completely different meaning in the world in which we live at the moment. My job is, I'm a chaplain, I work with young adults, we, uh, like the kind of 18 to 21 year old age uh, in University College Dublin. We have about 30,000 students, um, and faith is definitely not part of our majority culture. Um, and I actually feel really weird talking, like uh, kind of being the one to talk about this today, because in my three and a half years of working in this university, even though there are big Christian societies on campus, I've actually never been invited to speak at a Christian society event. But I have been invited to speak to the Atheist and Secular Society, the Philosophy Society, to be part of the Law Society debates, the Literary and Historical Society. I've been invited to do all these different things with all these different people. And sometimes, I don't, I like, and I guess I don't, I don't know if that makes me the right person or the wrong person to talk about this, that I have more non-Christians inviting me to speak at their events in college than I do Christians. And so I think there are things that I'm going to say today that, coming from my context, coming from my place, you might disagree with or might not be part of your experience. And that's totally okay, because I'm probably wrong. Don't worry about it. But if I'm not, well, we'll see where that goes. So, um, talking about evangelism, as I was preparing for this, there was three big examples that came to mind that all happened within, um, within a couple of days for me. A few years ago, we started an event called Paradoxology. How many of you have heard of the festival Electric Picnic? Okay, so a good few. <laughs> You guys all live down south? Yeah, oh yeah, cool. Okay, so uh, Electric Picnic, for those of you who don't know about it, is basically like the Glastonbury that happens in the Republic. There's about 50,000 people go to it. It's the biggest bands in the world, biggest comedians in the world. It's four days long. It's absolutely insane. It's just absolute carnage. And about, uh, back in like 2013, we approached Electric Picnic about starting a Christian prayer tent at their festival. And they were like, we don't really think you know what this is. <laughs> it's like, no, trust me, we're gonna, it's going to be all right. And so we created this space, and this, and this space was amazing. Um, it was a six meter by six meter tent. And we had this beautiful tree in the middle, which was like a mental health prayer tree, kind of similar idea to um, what's happening at the hatch. And we had over here, we had a confessional. And the confessional was a place where you could come in and you could just talk. It wasn't a place where like somebody would confess and someone also give out forgiveness you would just know that there was somebody praying on one side of it all the time and you could come in and just like talk about the stuff that you were experiencing I know that somebody was listening to you and loving you and praying for you and um, we had uh, we had an altar where people could write down things that they were struggling with and um, uh, and they could they could leave them behind and then there was 20 of us who got free tickets to the festival and we just spent like this whole festival just hanging out with people loving people just being there and it was us trying to figure out what does it mean for us to share our faith in the world in which we live at the moment we're like, this feels natural, this feels good and right. And then there was one day, myself and my friends, we were walking up to get milk, and we saw some guy, there was a massive queue of about 200 people queuing to get into the festival, and some Christian dude had pulled up his car alongside the big queue, and he'd opened up the boot of his car, and he pulled out a big thing of speakers, and he had this microphone, and he was like, repent ye fornicators, and like all this kind of stuff, like screaming at them. And I was faced with this like dichotomy of like of standing on the outside, shouting at people that you don't know, not listening to their stories, not hearing about their lives, not caring about the world in which they live, but telling them who they were um, and 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 seeking to define them and and, and cl essentially claiming to have all the right answers. 
And the, and the funny thing is, people weren't even mad. They, were just, they just thought this guy was cracked. And I think sometimes that's the worry, is that we think people will think we're nuts. And yet, just 50 meters away, on the other side of the wall, inside the festival, was this place where people could come and talk about faith in a way that was safe in a way that was honest and real and authentic and provided engagement and where we didn't claim to have all the answers, but rather it was a space for people to come home. There's all these different um, uh, uh, methods out there for like reaching people, and I want to go through a couple of them because I think they, they, they scratch away. I think if we look at them, we can scratch beneath the surface and see some of the negative um, uh, tendencies we have when we're trying to share our faith with other people. One of them is... Um, a bunch of people um, uh, were doing some outreach um, uh, down in Kilkenny um, when I was down there, when I used to live there as head of youth work for the Southeast. And one of the things that they would do is they would go out and they would do surveys. And so they would go out to people on the street and they'd be like, I've got this survey. Will you fill out this survey all about, all about faith? And then they would, they would like to, you know, give different answers to it. And then the, the guys who were going out onto the streets, they would, this was a great opportunity for them to start a conversation about faith. But one of the things I realized, um, uh, or one of the things I guess I challenged them on when they came back and they were like, we had, we'd got all these surveys filled out that we do, you know, this is this thing we do survey. I was like, great, can you tell me about all the data you've pulled together from talking to people on the streets about faith? Because I think it'd be really helpful for our mission work. And then, and then their response was, well, actually, we never put it all together. I was like, so what you mean is you go out onto the streets and you say to people, your opinions are really important to us. And then you use this as an excuse to start a conversation about faith, but you actually don't keep the answers? It's so manipulative. You tell somebody that their opinion matters, but the only reason you cared is because it gave you a chance to speak. It's manipulative. manipulative, it's disingenuous, and people, I think, feel that. And the reason we come up with these different like, schemes or, or processes or ways of doing these things is because we feel all this pressure to be able to do it. Let's take the pressure off ourselves for a second and realize you can't force something without the Holy Spirit. And you can't stop the Holy Spirit from doing his thing. So is your evangelism, is it obedience to who God is calling you to because of a sense of fear? Or is it overflow because the love and the beauty that you're experiencing are things that you want to share? Another two words that bother me that never should be together. In my opinion, I know that I'm wrong about this, right? And I know I'll get complaints about it, okay? I don't care. Email them to uh, whatever. Um, two words that I really struggle with when I see together are these two words, friendship evangelism. The reason I struggle with them is, is when two words are put together for clarity, it's usually because one of them isn't true. If we're living out our faith in, and being um, the people who are being in our presence should, should be drawn towards Jesus anyway. We can't end up with this problem that we feel like we're trying to recruit people instead of just doing life with people. There was this amazing ad when I was a kid. Um, when I was a kid, I mean like 17, 18. You, you know, your age, not to be disparaging. Um, uh, the, but that's a long time ago. And there was this great ad on TV like where, you know, the, all the good programs. I t honestly, explaining my childhood to people your age is very... Basically, when, back when there was like TVs and you just had to watch what, whatever was on, right? Before Netflix or YouTube, like you just turned it on and whatever was on, that's what you were watching, right? And then eventually, unlike, you know, like Netflix gives you the are you still watching thing, you know, um, which is always a sign that my Saturday is going really well. Are you still watching? Yes, don't judge me. Um, 
in, in, uh, basically, uh, just at the end of the day, the programs would end, and then it would just start running ads over and over again. And me and my friends, we would still sit up at late at night, not wanting to go to bed. And there's this amazing ad for the Penali pen set, which is a fountain pen, right? But then they, they, they were like, you could get this fountain pen. Look how well it writes. And you're like, not so fast on a fountain pen. And they're like, look, you can stab cans with it. And you're like, what? And, they, and they, there's this video of them taking this fountain pen and stabbing like beer cans with it. We're like, what is happening right now? And they're like, and if you order now, you'll get this 64-piece refill set. I was like, I will never need to buy ink again in my life. And then they're like, and if you order now, we'll give you all of this twice for the cost of delivery. And we're like, amazing, right? And we'd always dreamed about buying one. My friend Kieran, actually, he's a, a true legend. Uh, he did buy one uh, and then called them and complained the following week. Um, it was like, I want my money back. And they were like, why? And it was like, because the pen broke. I'm like, well, what are you doing with it? I was like, I was stabbing cans with it. They're like, well, that's not really what it's made for. I was like, well, then you shouldn't have put that in your ad. Um, and he got his money back. Um, Kieran, what a legend. Um, so, um, but sometimes, like the, that voice um, that you would hear on those ads, um, that voice that's like the, that's like always trying to sell you something. I feel like that was the voice that 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 I felt like I had to have when I was like trying to tell my friends about faith or Jesus when I was when I was growing up. Like I had to be like, and if you do this, you'll also get this. Like the the constant trying to sell, 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 as if that's what the life of faith is supposed to be about. One of my favorite messages, um, uh, you know when people screenshot terrible messages on Instagram? Um, I follow way too many dumb Instagram accounts, basically. But there, uh, uh, there's this bunch, there's been this trend towards people trying to sell stuff on Insta. And, um, and you, know, you know, it's like either the tummy tea or the like, here's this fitness program that we know 100% works and like all this different stuff. Um, and uh, there, I saw a brilliant um, screen grab of somebody sent a message to their friend and be like, hey buddy, haven't seen you in a while. I hope you're doing really well. Just want you to know how important I am, uh, how important you are to me. Listen, I got this really cool tea, and it's really helping me, uh, helping me lose weight and all this kind of stuff, right? And you read through, and you're like, oh, what a lovely message. And then you look at the last message that person actually sent. And the last message was, if you ever talk to my man again, you skank, I will knock your teeth out. And you're like, clearly, they've just been copy and pasting in these messages, trying to come across like you're still close to somebody in order to sell them something. And that's not what sharing our faith is about. I think evangelism in its best way looks like two people sitting down for dinner. Or sorry, I think at its worst. It looks like two people sitting down to, the, to dinner. The Christian and their friend. And the Christian looks at the menu and they say to themselves, this is what I'm getting. This is the best thing on the menu. And then it arrives and they're like, look at this sauce. You know, like one of those proper like yumly videos or something. Um, look at this sauce. Look how beautifully it's cooked. And then they talk about where the meat and the vegetables come from. The steak comes from cows who live in mansions and are tucked into bed every night by kind grandmothers wearing cow onesies. And the vegetables are grown in an underwater aquarium aquarium where Atlantis used to be. And then they talk about the, the calories um, and how low it is in calories. And then they talk about the price and what good value it is. And then the meal ends and they both go home and the friend says to himself, that Christian is so weird. He spent the whole evening talking about how amazing his meal choice was and never actually ate it. For me, the, the starting point for sharing our faith is just shut up and eat. We don't need to talk about how good it is about how perfect it is, about all these different things. Because the greatest witness to how good a meal is is the expression on your friend's face when you see them tucking into it. When we live it out authentically and honestly, it will be compelling to people. 
Conversations about faith are like love and farts. If you have to force it, it's probably crap. Faith is less of an argument about truth than it is a conversation about beauty. When you start a relationship with your friends, uh, or sorry, a relationship with your significant other, you never start by saying, I know he's real and I can prove it, right? You start with, this is why this matters to me. This is why this relationship is changing me. This is why the love that I'm experiencing is doing all this stuff in my life. This is why I feel loved and known and accepted. This is why I feel more fully myself because I'm in this relationship. And that's what the relationship of faith could be, should be. I think one of the things that we, we've messed up sometimes in Christianity is we've made the faith conversation more about the head than about the heart. But I don't know any Christians who are still Christians because they lost an argument. Most of the people that I know who are Christians follow Jesus because they had a transformational encounter that they can't deny. And I think that's what sharing our faith is about. That's how we do it without losing friends. It's about encountering God ourselves and reflecting back to the world the beauty of our experience in a way that, honor, uh, other, that others um, know is honest and real and sometimes imperfect. One of my favorite conversations that I had about faith um, as I've been trying to learn this stuff for myself was a conversation I had with a, fr uh, a former um, student of mine called Jake. And Jake hadn't grown up in like the faith world or anything like that, but he started coming to our drop-in centers and, and hanging out with us. And that was um, kind of a wonderful part of um, our drop-in center work down in Kilkenny. And we went up to, we were up in Greystones and we were running a festival for a few days. We were having, we were having the chats in the car. And, uh, and Jake turns to me and he says, Scott, I don't buy into this whole like Christianity nonsense, right? He's like, I'm, <laughs> um, uh, I don't buy into this whole Christianity thing. I, I'm more into like reincarnation. What do you think of reincarnation? Now, the, the, uh, the youth group kid who is still inside of me, right, immediately went to, that's not what the Bible says, right? <laughs> right? And if you grew up in church, you might like feel the same way, like that that's what you were trying to do. Nope, not in the Bible, didn't happen, right? But that's not what he was asking me. Jake wasn't asking me the question, does the Bible say anything about reincarnation? Jake was saying, what do you think of the idea of reincarnation? I don't want your pre-prepared answer. I don't want a list of reasons that the Bible doesn't agree with that idea. You, why don't you buy into it? And so I had all the answers in my head that I could have used and, and, I, and I took them away. I said, Jake, I tell you what, let me think about it and I'll come back to you. And so I dropped him off at his accommodation. He was staying with a few friends and I went off. And I went home that night and I was thinking about it. I was like, why don't I, like I could, I could, perceivably change religion and believe any number of things but there's something that draws me to Christianity beyond like the bare facts it's the experience that I've had and the, uh, the love the way in which I've fallen in love with it what is it that draw what is it not just what is it that drew me here but what is it that keeps me here as a Christian I was weighing all this stuff through and then I picked up Jake the next morning I was like Jake I was thinking about the question you asked me about why I don't believe in reincarnation I was like let me let me test and see if I understand correctly what you're talking about when you mean reincarnation, do you mean the idea that when you die, you are reborn, and if you've been good, you'll, you'll, you'll get a better next life, and if you've been bad, you'll get a worse next life? He was like, yeah, I, I like that idea. And I was like, here's why I can't buy into that. I, I, like the way, I like the way it sounds about the future, but my problem is the way in which it makes me treat the present. 
Because that means as I look around the world, the way that it is at the moment, every time I see somebody who is poor or struggling or hurting or sick or dying, I can just say to in my head, well, they deserve that because that's the life that they were born into. They must have been bad in a previous life. And so the universe has its own way of bringing about justice and they deserve what they're getting. And then if I see the rich and the powerful and the people with influence and those who essentially run the world, I can say, well, they must deserve it because they must have lived good lives up to now. And that brought us to here. And so this is why I can't buy into the idea is because what I fall in love with in Christianity is this idea that I'm supposed to support those who are struggling and are hurt and on the outside. I'm supposed to rebel against the way in which the world keeps them down. And I'm also supposed to, also supposed to challenge the systems of power that run the world in a way that oppresses, rejects, and hurts people. And so my feeling is reincarnation, it tells me I should resign myself to the way the world in which it is. But the kingdom of God tells me to start a revolution against it. And Jake had the funniest answer. He just said, well, I guess I can't believe in reincarnation anymore, can I? Not because of what the Bible said, but because at a heart level, it was no longer beautiful. And as you're reacting to that story, I'm so, I'm so interested to know if you filed that away in things that I can say later, you're continuing to make it part of the problem because that's not your real answer, that's mine. It's not about us learning to memorize things and speak them back to people. It's about knowing and experiencing and encountering the beauty and then living it out in a way that begs questions from the people around us. One of the things I, I love to say when we're training mission teams who come over to work um, in Dublin is I love saying this. Um, Jesus is, the is not the beginning of a conversation. He's the answer to a question. And the question is, why do you live like you do? I love this in 1 Peter. Peter writes, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And I want to focus on that little, that little line. Everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. If, you have a, if you're not living a life that's worth questioning, then you have nothing to explain. And the more and more you talk about the things that you believe, if you're not living them out, you just sound like someone describing a meal they are not eating. I think becoming more and more like Jesus leads us to living a life that demands explanation, where people just are just like, why are you like this? Now, I'm in, in, a, in, a, in a marriage. That's my wife. Everyone say hi to my wife, right? Yeah. Hi, Christina. Um, now, everyone... Uh, like you should know that marriage leads to that. You know, Christina regularly asks me, why are you like this? Um, but not in a good way. I mean, when people do it in a good way, you know, when they ask you, why, why do you love me like this? Why do you care about me like this? Why do you still believe in me when I don't believe in myself? Why are you, why are you still here when other people leave? Why, why are you there in the middle of the night when everything else is dark and no one else is willing to be present? Why are you still here with me? That for me, I think, is the, is, the, is the way in which we share our faith. And so I want to talk about a, li a, little, a little bit about the way in which Jesus shared, I don't want to say his faith because it's weird because he is God, but, but the way in which he lived that invites us to live in a, in, a, in a certain way that was so different from the way in which we often do kind of evangelism today. A lot of the ways in which evangelism is done in churches today is based on like the John the Baptist of idea. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. But you, you don't really see Jesus doing that as much. There's a, um, 
uh, my, my friend, uh, I know a guy called Jared, who he had this great line um, about, you know, Jesus going to parties. He said that the only parties Jesus ever ruined were funerals, especially his own. Because whenever he'd show up at a funeral, he'd raise the dead person. He was always at the center of the party, always at the life of the party, never like a slave to the party. He wasn't a slave to the sash. But he was present in a way that mattered and that felt natural and that was honest. There's an amazing story in, um, in Luke, uh, often titled The Dead Girl and the Sick Woman. And this is the story of a, of a woman walking through the crowd, and she's got a bleeding disorder. And this bleeding disorder she's had for a number of years. And, um, and the problem with this bleeding disorder is, according to the religion, uh, it, the Jew Jewish um, temple religion in which she lived, this made her unclean to the touch. So anybody who touched her was not allowed to essentially go to church. And so... For years, for something like 12 years, she wouldn't be able to touch her neighbors. She wouldn't be able to touch her kids. She wouldn't be able to touch her husband. The places where she sat, the things she ate from, all made other people unclean. And so she comes through, she sees that Jesus is coming to town, and she sneaks through this crowd. And this is a huge problem that she is risking her life for. Because by sneaking through this crowd, every person she touches, she is making unclean along the way, and she's not telling them. And that's a huge deal in the world in which they live. And so she, she like sneak, is sneaking up behind Jesus. And the, there's this amazing, like, there's layers to the story. Because the... Um, she keeps saying to herself, if I can only, if I can only reach out and grab the, the hem of, her, uh, of his coat. And the hem in Hebrew like the, 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 is where the um, tassel would be. And the tassel was on the edge of your prayer shawl. And the idea, of your, uh, on your, uh, the idea of the tassel on your prayer shawl was every time you saw it was that you would be reminded to pray. And so people would, would wear these prayer shawls with these tassels on the end. And she was like, if I can just go out and reach the corner. And the Hebrew word for corner is kanaf. And the... Um, the, but it's also a pun, like it means two things. It also means wing. And so when she goes out and she reaches him, she's not just grabbing the tassel or the corner, she's also grabbing his wing. And there's a prophecy in, in Malachi that says that when the Messiah comes, he will have healing in his wings. And so she's reaching out and laying hold of an ancient promise. And she lays hold of it. And as soon as she touches it, she becomes clean. Her body is restored. And she feels the bleeding stop and she knows that everything has just changed. Or almost everything because she's the only one who knows. The problem is that when she goes back now, nobody knows that everything has changed. So how does she explain it? But ne nevertheless, she turns and she goes to leave. And Jesus says he felt the power go out of him. And I always love the disciples' interactions with Jesus because um, Jesus is like, I felt uh, somebody, who touched me? And Peter's like, come on, Jesus. It's a crowd. Everyone's touching you. Don't be such a diva. Um, and, and, but he knows someone has touched him because something has changed. And then there's this beautiful line. It says this. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. What I love about this is that when she left, when she went to leave anonymously, without being seen, without being known, without being noticed, she had been physically healed. But Jesus doesn't just care about that. He also cares about our place within the community and how we're perceived and known by people. 
And so when Jesus invites her back, it says the only reason she came back and told her story is that she saw that she could not go unnoticed. She saw that she could no longer be invisible. If we want to talk about how we share our faith with people, how many people do you make feel seen and known and loved? How many people, by the way in which you treat them, by the way in which you invite them to be loved by others, can you say, go in peace as part of this world? Not at war with yourself and with the world, but at peace, experiencing this peace within yourself because you've been seen and known. I also love the story of blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10 where there's a crowd going up to, uh, to Jericho and everyone's calling out to Jesus and asking him questions like, Jesus, what about this issue? And what would you do in this situation? Um, well, the law says this. Why have you done this? And everyone's crying out, but Jesus hears a voice calling that is, um, is beyond everyone else's and the voice keeps calling out, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody is like, quiet down, man, quiet down uh, um, to this guy on the edge of the road whose name is blind Bartimaeus. But he cries out all the louder, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And then this happens. It says, Jesus stood still and said, call him here. Then they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for him? And the blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. It's bordering on offensive that Jesus says to a blind man, what would you like me to do for you? Like it is clearly obvious. Like the guy's probably standing, you know, being like, son of David, have mercy on me. But looking at Peter, you know, like because he doesn't know who he's looking. He doesn't know what Jesus looks like. He just knows that something is happening on the di at, at, at a distance. So why does Jesus say to him, what do you want me to do for you? And I think the reason he, he, he asks him is because asking people what they want gives them dignity. So much of the Christian world is shaped around this idea of just telling people what they need, who they should be, where they fall short, what they do that's unacceptable, what they need to change. But Jesus doesn't do that with Bartimaeus. He invites him in close and he says, what do you want me to do for you? He doesn't treat him as a problem to be solved, but as a person to be loved. He invites him to participate in the transformation of his own story. And so we want to talk about sharing our faith without losing our friends. It's a terrifying idea that, that, that sharing our faith would lead to losing our friends. What kind of faith are you sharing if it's going to make people walk away? The faith that Jesus had was the kind of faith that brought him to the center of parties. That, that, brought, that, was, that made him the kind of person you call when you're, about to ha when you're about to celebrate or when you're about to mourn. A person you always wanted in the room. Henry Nouwen has this um, great quote from a book called Out of Solitude. He says, when we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice or solutions or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness. That is a friend who cares. This is the thing I think about the way in which we share our faith is that sometimes when we're told that you need to go out and share your faith is that you're, you're being told that you need to go out and make people like you rather than go out and be like Jesus to people as if it's your job to change hearts. 
But the Holy Spirit is at work in people, transforming and changing, changing you, changing the people around you. And so your faith that you share with other people is not just your explanation of what happens in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ or whether or not you can back up the legitimacy of the Bible. It's the faith that exists in you, in the way in which you live, in the way in which you care, in the way in which you give yourself, in the way in which you are present to people. Jesus taught his friends, he, he, he treated his friends like they were endlessly and immeasurably valuable. Do you? Jesus treated his friends like their actions didn't define whether or not they were acceptable. Do you? And then Jesus somehow also never needed their validation or their permission to be himself because they knew, he already knew who he was. One of my favorite um, uh, stories in the, in, the, the, uh, in the Gospels is the, the combination of stories. They go together, but we keep them really separate. And it's the story of the baptism of Jesus and then his temptation in the wilderness. You see, at the baptism of Jesus, Jesus goes and he goes into the river and John the Baptist baptizes him and he goes under the water and he comes back up and the sky and um, the clouds part and a dove comes down from heaven and a voice is heard and it says, this is my son who I love. I am pleased with him. And it's stunning. It's the moment where Jesus, who is human and divine, it, it is revealed to him who, fully who he is. He comes... For the Son of God is revealed by the mouth of the Father. And then immediately he goes out into the wilderness. And in the wilderness he's tempted. And out in the wilderness, the, you know, the tempter says to him, um, uh, you know, you're hungry. Turn these, uh, turn these stones into bread or jump off this building and the, his angels will catch you. Or if you just bow down, um, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And all of these temptations are there, but we so often miss the first part of it. Um, the first part of the, each of the temptations, or sorry, of two of the temptations. And that's that the tempter says to Jesus when he's talking about stones and when he's talking about jumping off the temple, he says to him, if you are the son of God. And so the question is not, do you trust? Sorry, the question is not, are you tempted to do this? The question is, do you believe what the voice from heaven said about who you are? If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm hungry, but I have nothing to prove. I don't need to jump through your hoops to tell you who I am. I don't need to prove myself to you. I don't need to prove that I am loved by God, known by God, accepted by God. I don't need to play these games in order to fit into whatever you say I must be in order to be listened to or acceptable or perfect. Right. Sorry, I'm just about to talk about being free and that's what they're singing about. For me, this is one of the most compelling ways in which we can share our faith is that in a world where everyone is trying to be perfect or first or flawless, what make your, makes your faith compelling is that it makes you free. Is that you don't have to play by the rules that are set down for who is supposed to be in or out or good or bad or worth loving or worth caring about or worth following in the world in which we live. You're free from all that. 
Because you already know that you're loved. And it's that love and that freedom that I think draws other people towards um, us. It's the kind of, it's that love that gives us something to explain to people. To say, yeah, this is why I live like this. I think when I was originally invited to come and do this seminar, I thought people would, thought were, were like, I bet Scott's got a really excellent three-point plan, maybe with a little diagram for how you could explain your faith to people. And I don't, because I don't believe in it. And I vehemently disagree with it. Because sharing your faith, sharing our faith should just be like sharing ourselves. I want to live the kind of faith that when somebody says, how are you? I have to talk about my faith because it's so connected to how I am and where I am and what I'm doing and where I'm going. Not in a way that's like, how are you today? Blessed in the Lord, brother. I, I'm not into that's that. If you know me, that's not me. But when it comes to how I'm feeling in life or where I'm at or, or, or how I'm going to react to the situations I'm in or the troubles that I face or, or the hard times or the good times, that my faith is at the center of that, where to tell my story is to talk about faith. Not in a way that feels forced, but in a way that feels honest. Not in a way that has all the answers, but in a way that's honest about my own questions. wasn't sure if I was going to um, um, share this last quote. It's, uh, it's one of my favorites. It's uh, by a guy called Frederick Buechner. Uh, if you haven't read Frederick Buechner, um, he is an absolute legend. I think he's still alive. He's in that weird place. There's some theologians you are like, they're definitely dead. And then you've got other ones where you're like, I think they're alive. I had this weird one recently. There's a guy called Jürgen Moltmann who uh, survived World War II, wrote some of the most amazing books ever. And uh, I was at a conference and found out uh, he's actually still alive. Like, he's 91. He got four trains to be there. And um, it was impressive. He, the man is a, is a superstar. Um, so, Frederick Buechner, I'm not sure whether or not he's still with us. Um, but he wrote a book um, many years ago called um, uh, Godric. And it was about a fictional 11th century hermit. And this hermit had a real problem. Big, massive introvert. And he found that as he wanted to seek out God, that what he would do is he would go out into the wilderness. And he would go out on this journey by himself to be like, I just want to go and be wherever the presence of God is. And so he decided to move away from the city and go on this journey with God. And he went out to this hut in the middle of nowhere and was like, this is the place where I'm going to seek God. And then suddenly he walked out of his hut and found out the people from the town had followed him. Um, and they were setting up little tents around his hut. And we were like, why are you all here? And they were like, because we know that you're searching for something that we also want to experience. And so he had to come to terms with this idea that as he sought solitude in which he could find God, in that place, he always found people there because people are crying out for something that's transformative, something that changes us, something that gives us hope. And so Godric, the 11th century hermit, he writes this. He's fictional, but these words are stunning. To touch me and to feel my touch they come. To take at my hands whatever of Christ or comfort such hands have. Of their, hand, of their own, my hands have nothing more than any man's. And I love this line. And less now at this tottering, lame-wit age of mine when most of what I ever had is more than mostly spent. But it's as if my hands are gloves and in them other hands than mine. And those the, one that the, the, and those the ones that folk appear with roots of straw to seek. It's holiness they hunger for. And if by some mad chance it's mine to give, 
If I have a holy hand inside of mine to touch them with, I'll touch them day and night. Sweet Christ, what other use are idle hermits for? So follow God out into the wilderness, into the space that he's inviting to you, into encounter and transformation. Be faithful to that journey and trust that living it honestly, that living it faithfully and living it even when you fail, it will create spaces for you to tell your story, which means telling the Jesus story because your story and his story are so closely wired together. Let me pray and then we'll do some like Q&A. Father, I thank you for this weekend, though I'll be honest with you, I'm not fussed on the weather. I thank you for the chance to gather together to, to meet new people, to hear new things, to get away from our homes for a, a while. Maybe there's great stuff happening at home and, and we miss it, or maybe, maybe it's nice to get a break from it, but either way, I thank you for this space to be able to to be a way to be in a new frame of mind, to hear new voices, and to have space to allow our hearts to come to rest, for silence where your voice can speak to us, to open our ears to you speaking, open our hearts to what you're doing, remove from us the pressure to constantly be the preacher, and instead work in us whatever it is that is good and real. Meet us where we're at. Save us from the uh, sense of pressure to be someone, someone that we're not or somewhere that we're not. Meet us as we be present to you here. And as that works in us, may that mean that sharing life means sharing faith with those we meet when we leave here. In your name, amen. Cool. Um, does anyone have any questions or Anything like that? One of the advantages to these seminars is they're a little bit shorter. So, um, but does anyone have any questions before we go? Somebody just put up their hand by accident. They were like, ooh, <laughs> not the right time. Um, cool. Well, um, thanks so much for coming along. Um, there's books available at the back. And also, I'll be hanging out up here if you want to chat or ask questions or tell me how wrong I am. I'm used to it, so I'm not afraid. Uh, have a great day. Thank you for listening to Word on the Go. For more information about the festival or to contact us, please visit us at www.summermadness.co.uk forward slash festival or reach out to us across our social media platforms.